What a wonderful morning it is to come into the house of the Lord. It's good to see all that are here this morning, such a beautiful day that we have. Before I begin my lesson this morning, I want to give thanks to many of the members of the congregation. My wife, as most of you know, had a relatively serious surgery Tuesday, and through the prayers of the congregation, through the text, through the flowers, through the food, and especially the prayers, she has come through quite well. In fact, the surgery was supposed to be a very painful surgery, and she's had very little pain. So that's been a great thing. Thank you very much from both my wife and I. This morning's lesson, I want to talk about forgiveness. And I know you've heard people who speak from time to time how they pick a topic that affects them. Well, forgiveness seems easy, but forgiveness is hard, and it's hard for me. So studying forgiveness is good for me to do. About four months ago, give or take, we were in the Dallas area, and we went to church in Denton, and Brother uh, Nye, Dusty Nye, happened to be the speaker. And he brought to my attention a story, a short story written by Hemingway that I'd never heard before, and it struck me as very interesting. So I would like to start my lesson by giving the highlights to the story of Paco. Paco was a teenage boy living with his parents in a rural area in Spain. And as he grew older, there was tension between him and his dad, and one day it just boiled over, and there were ugly things said, and there were screaming things, and Paco said, I just can't live here anymore. And he said, I'm going to go to Madrid, the capital of Spain, and I'm going to become a bullfighter. That's what I'm going to do. Well, his dad knew that he had no experience of being a bullfighter. He had no money. He was, it was going to be really hard. So he, fe- he expected him to come back. And Paco's dad waited and waited and waited, and Paco didn't come home. So he said, I've got to go find Paco. I've got to see if he's okay. We can reconcile our differences and I can bring him home. Now you've got to remember, this was before the telephone. This was before photography was common. So he couldn't go to the streets of Madrid and hold a picture and say, have you seen Paco? No, the only chance he had of seeing Paco was to see Paco. Put you in his condition. Let's say you went to Oklahoma City or Albuquerque or Dallas and said, I got to find a guy, so I'm going to start walking the streets. What do you think the chances are of finding that person? Pretty nil. He walked for a long time and finally decided it's just not working. And besides that, I got to go home and work. I've got, I've got to go back and attend my farm. So the last week he was there, he said, I'll I'll try something different. He said, I'll put a classified ad in the daily paper. The local newspaper was El Liberal. And remember, this was before phones. This was before radio. This was before TV. So people got all of their information from the newspaper. Everyone read the newspaper. It was the social media of the day. All of your news came from there. All your commentary came from there. And a lot of people in the classified ads put in ads that wanted or needed something. To the young people, that may not even make sense, but most of us know what newspapers are. 
Well, he put in the ad, and this was the simple ad that it read. Paco, meet me at Hotel Manana, Montana excuse me, on noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. He placed that ad in the classified. And it was there for a few days. And as Tuesday got closer, his anticipation got higher. And he, he wanted to find Paco. Well, guess what happened when he got to the Hotel Montaigne? In his desire to find his son Paco, he hadn't really realized that Paco was a common nickname of people who live in Spain. So there were 800 people that showed up at the Hotel Montaigne. We all need forgiveness. We have all fallen short. We all need the love of the Father. And they were all there because Paco had been forgiven and was loved. Fortunately for you and I, our God is a loving God and a forgiving God. He wants to forgive. It's part of his nature. In Psalms 86 and 3, be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee today, daily, sorry. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy with all them that call upon thee. God wants to forgive. He is ready to forgive for those who call upon him. In Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel this, Therefore, O thy son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, Is our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them? How should we then live? Saying to them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from his evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? He told Ezekiel to tell them, why do you pine away in your sins? Instead, come back to me. I'm not interested in punishing the wicked. That's not what I want to do. What I want to do is forgive. <clears throat> Excuse me. The New Testament puts it this way in 2 Peter 3 and 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants us to repent, and he wants us to come back to him. Hebrews 8 and 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. God had a plan, has a plan. He sent his son to die on the cross because he is a righteous God. And if we get what we deserve, it's not good for us. But instead, his sin covered that up so his mercy could be bestowed onto us. And I won't remember their sins and I won't remember their iniquities. Because I want to be merciful. Thanks to Bonnie Paul, Ephesians 1 and 3 said, Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God doesn't need us. 
We need God. And his forgiveness for us is because he wants to. It's his good pleasure to the praise and the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus Christ. And he made us acceptable to God because he took away our sins. Having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us acceptable in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's through his beloved, his son, that we receive redemption, and it's through his blood sacrifice that forgiveness of sin occurs, and what riches it is in the grace that he showed to us. First John 2 and 12, John said, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You for his name, name's sake. Our sins are forgiven because God wants them to be forgiven. They're forgiven because he wanted it to happen. It's for his name's sake. It's for his glory that he gave us his son. Well, you know where I'm going with this. If God is a forgiving God, he wants us to be a forgiving Christian. He expects us to forgive. There's a count, uh, an account. It's not used very much, but we find in Luke, the ninth chapter, in the 51st verse. We find here where the scriptures say that it was getting close to the time for Jesus to go to Jerusalem for the last time, to stand trial, to be crucified. And it says here that he knew that, and steadfastly his, he set his face to go. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And evidently it went right through a Samaritan city. I mean, he sent messengers before them in the, to this, and they, when they entered into the village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, you know what the Samaritans did? They said, you're not coming in our town. Now, the scriptures don't tell us why. Maybe they were afraid. You remember how that when Jesus took the, the devils and put them in the pigs and they ran and they fell into the water, the people that saw that were so afraid, they said, we don't want anything to do with you. Get away from me. Maybe that was the case. Maybe they just didn't believe in Jesus and all the commotion and stuff, and they just said, you're not coming in. Scriptures are not clear why, but the leaders of that town said, you're not entering our town. Well, you know what? That really made James and John mad. It ticked them off. And they said unto the Lord, well, uh, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? He said, they so insulted us. They so insulted you. They won't even let you in. That, that Why don't we call God and bring fire down from, from heaven and destroy this city? You know what Jesus said? He said, what are you talking about? He turned and rebuked them and said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they just went to a different city. Jesus wasn't interested in causing destruction and causing retribution because these people didn't want him in the city. Instead, he said, my job is to save people, not to condemn them, not to destroy them. We're all familiar with the parable that Jesus gives us in Matthew, the 8th chapter, 
Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought into him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for so much as he had not to pay, the Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all they, that he had and the payment to be made. Sometimes I think in parables, Jesus exaggerates on purpose. He says this man owed the king 10,000 talents. He doesn't say silver or gold, but if it was silver, it was tens of millions of dollars. And if it was gold, it was hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have that kind of money in the checking account. And so he said, I'm going to sell you and your family and your children to get part of my payment back. How much was he going to get back? A very small amount of what was owed. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's a pretty forgiving king. Our father. But the same servant went out and found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what thou owest. A hundred pence is not a, a small amount of money. It's eight ten thousand dollars in our dollars today. So it wasn't that the guy owed him, 20, you know, owed him 25 bucks. He owed him eight ten thousand dollars. And he wanted to be paid. We know what happened. The man couldn't pay it. So the evil servant took this man, put him into prison till he could pay his, bet, his debt of a hundred pence. Well, other fellow servants saw this and were appalled and went back to the Lord, went back to the king and said, look what this man has done. Then his Lord, after they had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, but because thou desirest me, shouldst not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have pity on thee? And the Lord was wrought and delivered him to the tormentors, till they should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you. If you from your heart forgive not every one his brother, their trespasses. Some parables are not very clear, but this certainly is clear. The king was God. And he set up and has forgiven us of great debt. And yet, he expects us to forgive others of the debts they owe us. And if not, then he will punish us because we didn't have the heart to forgive others as he had the heart to forgive us. In Mark 11 and 25, the scripture says, And when ye stand, praying, forgive. If ye have aught against that, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you, beget, forgive your trespasses. You know, this teaching is extremely straightforward. There's no difficulty in understanding. If we don't forgive... There's no reason for God to forgive us. When Jesus was asked by his disciples to teach them to pray, the, the common term we use is the Lord's Prayer. 
And part of it in Matthew 6 and 12 says, And forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. If we're going to pray to God to forgive our debts, we better be standing on equal saying we're planning on forgiving others that owe us. And we're not talking about money. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How straightforward, how clear is that message? We're all familiar with this, but I really like this discussion that Peter has with Jesus. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him seven times? You know, here again, I think Peter was exaggerating. He says, seven times? Wow, what a lot. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seven times seven. 490 times, Peter. My wife and I just celebrated our 51st wedding anniversary. I never thought I'd live that long. But I'm walking on eggshells because by my account, I'm up to about 483. I got about seven more, and then I don't know what's going to happen. Let me back up a second. When Peter said seven times, uh, do I forgive him seven times? I think I've used this example, but I want to use it again. When we were kids in school, we'd walk up behind somebody and start getting step with them and, take, and put my toe right there on the heel of their tennis shoe and the shoe would come off because you'd pull his feet and come right out. And he's, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, okay. Well, 30 seconds later, you'd walk up behind him and you'd do it again. And say, oh, I'm sorry. Well, the third time you did that, there was a fight. Okay? And that wasn't seven times. But you're, you can say, well, he wasn't, he wasn't honest in being sorry. He wasn't really sorry that he was doing that. I've had people that, well, on purpose, they hurt me. And they don't, they don't, they're not sorry they hurt me and they keep hurting me and they, they do things to me and my family that I just don't want them to do. So how can I forgive them? All we have to do is look here. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You think the people that hung Jesus on the cross was sorry they did it? Do you think that they weren't mocking him and jeering him and saying, look, there's the king of the Jews. Did they deserve to be forgiven? No. Did Jesus forgive them? Yes. So, at what grounds do we stand on? If Jesus can do that, why can't we? James 2 and 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Our God is a God of judgment, but he has mercy because of his Son. 
And he won't have mercy for people who don't show mercy. And remember that mercy or forgiveness is much better than judgment or holding a grudge. And we need to be merciful and forgiving. Matthew 5 and 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembrance that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way, first to reconcile to thy brother, and then come back and offer thy gift. To worship God and hold in our hearts something against someone else, it's, it's not a pure worship. Jesus said, before you give a gift, before you come and worship, go take care of those things so that your, your heart will be pure when you come and then offer the gift. Almost in all our prayers, we ask for forgiveness. But how can we pray forgiveness when we have not forgiven? We need to forgive, just as Christ forgave us. Change topics just a little bit here. 1 Timothy 4 and 7 says, But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. He says, exercise thyself unto God. And this one of godly's traits, as we, God's traits, as we've talked about this morning, is forgiveness. And you and I need to practice that. We need to work on being forgiving. I know Franklin, two or three times in lessons, that talked about he can't figure out why some of his family want to run until they're exhausted. That can't be fun. And they say yes, and they do it every day. Well, I used to run every day. And I missed it. When I didn't run on a particular day, I knew it. And I said, boy, I wished I could run today. But something kept me from it. But it's the running exercise is not what's important. It's the godly exercise. But it's the fact that we do it every day. Dusty Nine is lesson. There were two thoughts there that really struck, struck me. As wise sayings. Like one who enjoys exercise running. Work on forgiving every day. Find a reason to go out of your way to forgive somebody. Work on it. And when you don't, if you do that on exercise, godly exercise, if you do it, you'll miss it. And it becomes easier to do. Another point he put in is, if offended, use it as an opportunity to forgive. Don't use it as an opportunity to get back at someone. Don't use it as an opportunity to hold a grudge. Look at it as God gave you an opportunity to forgive someone. For that's what he expects us to do. So when someone offends you, look at it as a God-given opportunity to exercise Forgiveness. Whether they deserve it or not, that's not the point. You know the kids' game where you whisper in one ear and the next kid whispers the next ear and the next ear and the next ear and it all changes with time? Whispered into the ear, Christ forgave us, therefore 
we should forgive him. Give, forgive. Christ forgave us, therefore forgive. Christ forgave me, therefore I must forgive. It's important that we forgive. All right, talk about the rest of the story. We started with Paco. And for those of us that are my age, we all know that Paul Harvey did the rest of the story. He was a, a radio commentator on the radio, and he told stories like, like Paco and others, and he always had the rest of the story. Well, now first of all, this is a fictitious story, okay? It's a short story that Hemingway wrote. But it did not end good for Paco. Paco didn't read the newspaper. Paco didn't have a friend to tell him that his dad was looking for him. And instead, Paco was out and him and, a, him and another guy doing what young guys do. They were running around and having a good time. And he accidentally, he, I'm sorry, there was an accident and he died. He never knew that all was forgiven. He never knew that his father loved him. There are so many people in this world that don't know that God wants to forgive and don't know that he loves them. What if a friend would have told Paco, you ought to read in the newspaper? How would that have changed his life? How come we don't tell others about Christ? Because we can change their lives by having them understand it. God has set forth a plan of salvation. First part of it is that we need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We need to confess that. We need to repent of those things we've done wrong because he's interested in forgiveness of us and to have our sins washed away. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. This is the lesson of the morning. There's someone subject to the gospel call. We ask you to come as we stand and sing. A couple of verses of the song selected.